following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey guys, Chris here, and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Association. I've had the opportunity to get to talk to some great NBA basketball players, some people who have accomplished amazing things on and off the court. And I can honestly tell you that I don't believe there was ever a week where I was more nervous to get the opportunity and more excited to get the opportunity to talk to somebody than this week's show. I think as any real basketball fan knows, we just kind of have those guys, our guys, players we have an irrational fondness for, despite the fact that maybe they weren't all-stars or anything like that, but we believe in them. They resonate with us for whatever reason. And that is certainly the case for my guest this week, Willie Burt. I was in the building when Willie went off against the Miami Heat, and a very, very young Chris Horwadell attached himself to this player, thinking, why isn't he a star? And as that goes, we kind of get to look at why he wasn't a star, why things didn't go exactly the way that maybe they would have in another reality or a second go or whatever. Willie and I talk about some heavy topics and some serious things that he went through. This does get a little bit darker than some of the previous episodes, but it's also far more important than some of the previous episodes. I can't thank Willie enough for coming and talking to me and being as candid as he was. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this nearly as much as I enjoyed recording it. Without any further ado, here is this week's episode of Tales from the Association featuring Willie Burton. Tales from the association, yeah, it's going down. This the podcast, yeah, you heard it all around. Players hit us with that career, cause you know that basketball man is not always there. Sometimes it come and go from the recruitment to the college phase, back to the NBA draft, yeah, that's not days. Playing internationally and at the life at a basketball man, they gonna tell us all how it go. See, story is how now, now you know. Tales from the Association. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Tales from the Association. I'm Chris Horwardell, and my guest today is former Golden Gopher star small forward who belongs to the NBA's 50-point club, Willie Burton. Willie, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So your story begins at uh, St. Martin de Porres in, uh, in Detroit. You had a strong career. What was the college recruiting process like for you? So it's pretty, pretty, pretty stringent. Um, I had coaches and family that protected me, but at the same time, the colleges were coming. Uh, uh, you know, the, the hefty garbage bags, right? Mm-hmm. The, the large ones that you use for the home. I would have those filled up every month uh. with letters from schools and have to make a decision and going over the schools and universities. And at that time, we didn't have computers to necessarily look up which school had the advantage of what. We could only go on literature that we received. How much of that are you actually reading? Because that's got to be overwhelming. Well, you have to read it. I mean, you're talking about your future. You're talking about yeah. somewhere you're going to spend four years and establish yourself uh, for the betterment of your family. Um, you you have to. You should. I just say that. <laughs> you know, my my coaches, my parents. You know, you know that was really important. 
Right. So what made Minnesota the right pick for you? Minnesota was the right pick because it was a it was diverse. Um, it gave the uh, it, it was a large city number one, uh, and number two. When I went there to visit, I saw I didn't plan on playing in the NBA. That wasn't my plan. I mean, mm-hmm. if it happened, it happened. But early on, I was put into my head that you know I need to make sure that I graduate and get a college degree. So I had to pick a place that I felt was conducive towards that. And when I went to the University of Minnesota, by being two big cities and all those companies and corporations, I noticed most of the athletes stayed and worked, mm-hmm. had good families, and, and did well. And that was my pick actually over Michigan State because I was supposed to go to Michigan State. Interesting. I was supposed to go to Michigan State, yeah. Interesting. That's a, that's a very mature perspective for a high school kid, too, because, you know, especially high-level basketball players, everybody's thinking, I'm going to get to the NBA, irrationally so. I thought I was going to play in the NBA when I was, you know, 12. At 14, I realized it wasn't going to happen, but whatever. But uh, to make the choice to go to a college where you're actually thinking about your future rather than thinking about the the professional life, that, that's an incredibly mature decision. As I said, I had a lot of individuals. I had the bookends. I had the coach, and I had my parents. Mm. So, you know, when you have those two um, shaping your molding your thought process, that helps. Sure. So what was playing for Clem Haskins like? Playing for Clem Haskins was an introduction to minor league NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was blessed to have a coach that taught me the right uh, drills, the right uh, footwork, understanding reading defense and zones. And I went into a situation where it was mirrored, literally. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it was an easy adjustment, easier adjustment for me than some of my teammates. Um, he, was, he was demanding. Uh, we needed him because he taught us not only to be a basketball player, but also taught us how to be young men, how to carry ourselves, know about the public. Um, how to hold a conversation. Yeah. He taught us the intricate details off the court in addition to that that helped us, you know, be successful. Sure. You actually got good playing time as a freshman, about 24 minutes a night, you know, 8.7 points, 4.2 rebounds. So you think that transition from high school to college was actually, you know, a little bit easier for you than other people, like you said? Well, you have to look at it this way. And initially, he really didn't start you know, he brought me in slowly, mm-hmm. which in my mind, I thought I should have started. But in hindsight, he did the best thing. I was not physically ready to battle with those guys. I was not. I thought I was. We're talking about the Big Ten, you know, in the, in the, in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you have, you know, 15 NBA players, you know, uh, a little bit different. Yes, for sure. That sophomore. Was not... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No. no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm happy to finish uh, whatever you wanted to say about your freshman year. Well, you know, it was an eye-opener for me, and it taught me that I needed to get into the weight room. I had ability, but I didn't have the strength to finish uh, moves, ideas, thoughts, Mm -hmm. blocking out, you know, prevented me from using my athleticism. Their strength, you know, slowed me down. Sure. So that sophomore year, minutes rise, numbers shoot up across the board. Are you feeling like you've kind of figured out this college thing at this point? Well, number one, experience. Yeah. Number two, I went in a weight room that summer. I lived in a weight room that summer. Literally. 
and it gave me a, uh, it gave me enough strength. I was never going to be as strong as most of those guys, but it gave me enough strength to where I could use my athleticism. Okay. You know, yeah, um, for sure. And yeah, and the team got better also. I mean, you know, we felt more comfortable together. And we go to your junior year, and it's very strong. 18.6, 7.5, you're getting to the line more. This is kind of a time where leaving for the NBA draft wasn't really a thing yet. You know, J.R. Reed and Nick Anderson were the only players to of note to declare that year. Did it even cross your mind? Well, no, it never crossed my mind. But later, my coach, I found out from my coach that it crossed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it never crossed my mind to leave. I felt that that we still had unfinished business. Uh, our first two years going 9-19. and 19, uh, And, you know, there were things that, that, that I wanted to accomplish to finish at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, that, that just blows my mind. I was talking to, uh, I had Jim McElvain on the show. And Jim had, you know, like you, had a very strong junior year. And I asked him the same question. And he said, you know, no, no, not, not for a second. And... It's just, I can't, I guess it's just a different time in the NBA, in the NBA draft at that point. Yeah, it's a, it's a much different time. I think that, I think that I, you know, if I would have come out, I know I would have went second round probably mm. at that time. Um, and I figured, okay, well, I'll just wait my turn. Sure. And that worked wait out for you. Yeah. That worked out. Again, senior year scoring goes up. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they build a platform that finds the right candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest application you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter helps you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash TFTA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash TFTA. ZipRecruiter.com slash TFTA. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And we're back. You know, I do have a question about this, though. Scoring goes up, and but like your junior season, you start all but one game. What happened to cause you to come off the bench in those two games? Uh, I'm not sure. Coach may have made a decision. Coach was known for making decisions mm-hmm. um, that he felt was right because of the reason. You have to understand, he pushed us. Sure. And we had to step up every day. If it looked like you were not stepping up, you know, and he had there were 12 other guys, you know, on the team, mm-hmm. you know. Um, sometimes he has to send a message, Yeah. you know, and – I can't remember what that was. I didn't realize I didn't start off with two games. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, Walter Baum was coming along, um, doing well. He needed more playing time. Um, and my senior year, I kind of started off slow. I kind of took my time, you know. Um, took my time, come back into it um, to kind of get things in order. Sure. And that's 
that feels like the kind of coach who, in hindsight, you think, oh, that was great for me. But maybe in the moment, that can be a little frustrating. Yeah, it is. As a player at that time, at that age, sometimes it's very frustrating, some of the decisions that are made. And Coach was known to do things like that. I mean, he was known to – we had three teams. And uh, we had the maroon team, which was the first team, the gold team, which was the second team, and the black jerseys. Uh, if you remember back in the days, remember the, when they had the, the NFL had the strike and they would call them scab players? Mm-hmm. I remember this to this day. So now I'm starting to become more familiar with it. You make a couple mistakes in practice, and Coach was – you know, he's saying he's retired from the NBA. Sure. You know, so, I mean, he, he didn't care who you were, you know. I mean, you make a couple of mistakes. I think he sent me from the maroon team down to the third team. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, sending messages? Sending messages. Well, I just it... made a couple, a couple of mistakes. And uh, I, sometimes you have to keep control of your team also. And some things were expected of me early. I didn't realize at the time. But he got his message across. Sure. Well, it was, it all worked out for you. College is over. Uh, what are you doing to get ready for the draft at this point? Well, at that point at the draft, I was concerned because I came to college to get my degree. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's telling me I need to drop my spring classes. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I, I went to school every summer so I can graduate. Right. Every summer I was there on campus taking classes. And now I, I can't go to school because I, I'm going to the NBA. That was different. Mm-hmm. That was different. I actually went to school the first two weeks to say maybe I can do this, but I couldn't because Charlotte was calling and Denver was calling right. and Miami called. And, you know, I'm flying all over the place. Yeah, people really glamorize the life of a student athlete, but in reality, it's a job. Yeah, it really is a job. You earn your, you earn it. I mean, between the injuries and the time off and doing the homework. You know, at 20,000 feet, at 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an actual job. Don't kid yourself. Uh, for sure. Now, where do you stand on should college athletes be paid? Well, I'm going to be honest with you on that standpoint, from my standpoint. Yeah. You know, the reason we have so many rule violations is because they're not. Right. You know, they understand, and they see these new arenas going up. They see... Everyone driving big cars that works with the program, and they have a hard time just getting home to visit their family or mm-hmm. their family visiting them. Now, I'm not talking about pay. I would not, this is me, I would not give them cash. I would boost their incentives. Okay. In other words, I would make sure that their family can come see games and uh, that they have clothes that they need. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all the things that they need to succeed. You know, it's it's hard to, to say a kid doesn't have a pair of pants, but he, last night he just helped pull in, you know, $300,000. Right, right, right. No, that, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, you know, you're not – it's not you, you advocating, you know, every player is going to get X amount of money, but just every player is in a position where they don't need to go looking for money on the side. Exactly. Give them some extra cars to go out – take the girlfriends out to a decent restaurant. Right. You know, little things that, that's just basic life. And I say it's incentivized. That, that'll break the gap between paying players and not paying players. Incentivize. Give yeah. them the things that they need. I guess you're never really, you're never really going to get rid of people who want to take money, but it's, it seems like what you're talking about would certainly significantly decrease it. 
to a significant decrease, and there will be no need for what's going on and what's happening. Because what's happened is the agents and some of the companies and corporations and shoe companies are filling the gap, mm-hmm. as you see what, what recently happened. Right. They know that it's there, and they're just filling the gap that, in my personal opinion, the NCAA is leaving forward. And, I mean, if you, some players would not take it if they had a, a means that they felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. They're taking it because they have to. That's why they created the hardship, because mm-hmm. I don't have any money. Now, if the hardship exists, that's telling you something's wrong back here. That's very, very interesting. Uh, but let, let's get back to you. So heading into the draft, what range are you expecting to be drafted in? Well, I originally went in uh, going in the low first round. Okay. Uh, low first round because at Minnesota I played only small forward because I was, you know, one of our better inside and outside scorers, so they gave me the versatility to post up or shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never got a chance really to play two guard or any other position. Uh, so uh, I was working out three or four hours a day, you know, I mean, like a like relentlessly, getting sure. my endurance up to a level that I, I, didn't, I didn't think I could get to, but I did. I go to the uh, NBA uh, Orlando, Orlando mm-hmm. camp, because they wanted to see if I had any other skill sets. What they didn't know is that in the state championship game in high school at DePores, I brought the ball up to a point guard. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that never showed at the University of Minnesota because, you know, where I was needed for the team. So I go to Orlando and I started shooting guard. Now all I get to do is shoot. Are you mm-hmm. serious? You're talking about a guy I had six NBA players on my team and I end up second all time scoring. If I can just shoot, just just <laughs> Yeah, for sure. If I can just score. So I end up first game I think I had about twenty three points at the combine. Second game I had maybe 24 points mm-hmm. at the shooting guard. So, Stephen Bardo, uh, Big Ten Adams, he was the point guard at the time. He goes down with a turned ankle, mm-hmm. right? I'm pushed to point guard. And I lead the, the Orlando Classic in scoring at point guard at 6'8". Not, yes, not bad. Right. So not that bad. shot me from mid mid to the end of the first round to the ninth pick. So basically showing a degree of versatility that people had no idea that you were capable of. Pretty much. Like you said, you end up going with the ninth pick to the to the heat. How relieved are you that this process is over and you know where you're going to play professional basketball? Well, actually, I wasn't that relieved. My first – the day I was drafted, my mom was in the hospital oh, literally sorry. about to die. Sorry so, um, and it was kind of hard because they wanted me in Miami, but yet my mother was in the hospital. Yeah. And um, she called me and the doctors called me. They had to sit my mother up in the hospital bed to watch me be drafted. Um, and I had to leave her in Atlantic City because we had an event we did with Donald Trump. Okay. So it wasn't that far. They had to sit my mother up and I, you know, I'll never forget this. And, um, the doctors, and they said she was okay, she was fine, and that's when I flew to Miami. So, and, um, so that was my introduction to the NBA. Well, I mean, you know? 
Yeah, that that's an incredibly tough situation, but you know, I guess you get that she always she got to see you be drafted, and there's there's something in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was it like, you know, walking into that NBA facility for the first time, knowing that you're part of this team with guys like Sherman Douglas and Glenn Rice and Ronnie Cycli and uh, you know, friend of the show over and overall nice guy Grant Long. Well, it was great. Uh, I had watched Sherman Douglas and loved the way he played at Syracuse when he played with Derek Coleman, who's from Detroit. Yeah. And um, I had played with Glenn on the AAU team, the Michigan AAU team, uh, before, so I so he was familiar. Uh, I knew about Grant Long, um, and I was very familiar with Ronnie Cycling. And, and, you know, I was excited to play with, you know, Sherman and Ronnie mm-hmm. and Glenn because I knew it would be an up-tempo style of play. And Grant, Grant is just the – He's probably throughout history the most overachieving, undersized four man in the yeah. history of the NBA. Yeah, for sure. You know, maybe uh, it's it's incredible. I think he had a 15 year NBA career, and uh, nobody would have expected that coming out of Eastern Michigan. Not at all. But then again, he was he's Grant Long. He's, he's every day consistent. He is Grant Long. You play uh, you play 76 games that year. You get 26 starts, and you're named second team All Rookie. How do you feel like that rookie year went for you? I felt like the rookie year went well, but I had adjustments. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of adjustments. There was a lot coming at me. It was a lot of things going on. Everything was moving. It was different. You know, you no longer want to a dorm room and lay down and walk across campus and talk to your friends. And, mm-hmm. You know, it was just go, 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 go. What was the thing that surprised you the most about you know being a professional athlete? how good those guys were yeah you know you think that you think that they're good but they're a lot better than you think no yeah i yeah i can't <laughs> agree, i can't agree more so i played on a rec league team and a couple of my a couple of my friends played one year and that was uh i don't i don't know how closely you pay attention to college basketball or anything like that but uh, a couple oh god five six seven years ago now sienna beat ohio state in the tournament with those two buzzer beaters and uh, two of those guys, Kenny Hasbrook and Ronnie Moore, played on our team. Kenny got a little bit of time with the Heat. And it's just incredible that in a league that is filled with guys who played overseas and at points, played in college, you get a guy like Kenny who was only on the fringes of the NBA. And when he wants to play, he is ten times better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I, just, I, I think people overlook it, too, because there's nobody in the NBA who can't play basketball. And the casual fan likes to talk about, oh, this guy sucks, that guy sucks. No, everybody in the NBA is incredibly skilled. Everybody in the NBA is incredibly skilled. But what you have, you have is just like a team concept. Some mm-hmm. guys, everyone's one of the best. But in a team concept, someone like, for instance, Grant Long, their, their roles are pushed back so that others can, like myself, I'm a scorer. So Grant had to pull his game back to let me shoot. So he still set the screens. I appreciate that, Grant Long. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of those guys that aren't scoring are more than capable of scoring. Sure. Yeah, I mean, look at look at guys like Rodman. Rodman scored, in, scored a ton in college. He gets to the NBA, and, uh, you know, considering who he's playing with and what his style is, that's just not what he's going to do. He's got a different job. Yep. So year two, solid stats-wise, you know, 68 games, 50 starts, 11.2 points a night. But, you know, you leave the team at the end of the season to seek treatment for depression. You know, what was going on at that time, Willie? 
what was going on at that time is something that I'm dealing with now. Um, I wrote a curriculum in a program called XLU. It's XLUonline.com okay. to deal with social and emotional issues that happen long before we reach college or long before we reach the NBA that are there. I suffered, which we found later, was actually post-traumatic stress. You know, one of my teammates who played in the NBA, Walter Bond, said to me, you, you never seem comfortable. So basketball fit me because it was always something where I wouldn't have to sit down and think. Yeah. I experienced, I seen a lot of things growing up. I seen my first man get stabbed at five. I seen a, the first man I seen get shot, no, no, shot at five. The first guy I knew who knew the other guy stabbed at nine. Jesus. Watch them stab each other. So this kind of sets up uh, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, I saw I was a loner. I would float alone all the time because I didn't have trust in things. You know, uh, I longed for the closeness that we had at the University of Minnesota because those guys were able to sit around me and hold a conversation. Whereas when I got to the NBA, my mental adjustment was not there. It just wasn't there. Right. I wasn't able to. And I didn't know. You know, we didn't know. We didn't talk about post-traumatic stress at that sure. time, which leads to other issues and other things. But thank God for the NBA and its programs. Because the NBA had that those kind of uh, Lord Backers who's now not around. Helped me through the process. It wasn't easy. It wasn't overnight. But I was helped through the process to find out what was going on with me. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's incredible, and you know, like you mentioned, something like like PTSD or depression or anything like that. That is not you. You go to treatment for two weeks and you're done with it. That is you going to treatment to learn techniques to cope with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, that's uh, you got you did get through it. You know, you were back that next year. But, you know, minutes are, are dropping again, despite the fact that your per 36 is strong. Why do you attribute uh, the loss of minutes that year? I attribute the loss of minutes, number one, to me being young. Number yeah. two, me still finding out who I am, you know? Sure. I mean, just, just basically finding out who I am and being young, making thinking irrational decisions, thinking that the world is against me, you know? Um, just adjusting, yeah. adjusting and becoming an adult. I just put it, I will put it that way. And I had become that because as an athlete, you know, they do everything for you. So you just follow this line. You know, you never think about what's on the left or what's on the right. I got a lot of people coming at me. I got family I've never seen. You know, I've got family members who I cared about that were important to me passing. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot going on. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back. We have an incredible special offer for you guys. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash tales and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash tales or text tales to 500-500 to get started today. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. So we're all trying to live our healthiest lives and 
one of my favorite things is taking my dog out for a walk at night and listening to a good audiobook. Right now I'm listening to Boys Among Men, how the prep to pro-generation redefined the NBA and sparked the basketball revolution by Jonathan Abrams. It's incredible. I can't recommend it enough to all of you. Do yourselves a favor. Check out audible.com today at audible.com slash tales. That's audible.com slash T-A-L-E-S or text tales to 500-500 to get started right now. We're back. Let's get back into this. And especially for people who are going through what you went through, I don't think the average the average fan realizes the, sort of the sense of isolation that comes along with being in the NBA or being a professional athlete of any kind. Because while there are so many people around you and so many hangers on, you know, there's a question of who is there because of money, who is there because of the position I'm in, and I, I imagine it's very difficult to know who is there because there's someone who cares about you. Yeah, but what happens is when you get into those mental positions now, then you start climbing up to, to substances. At least mm-hmm. that's what I did. You know, I started drinking. Before I knew it, I went to the team doctor, and he told me that, you know, you know, I was messing my body up. I'm young. Yeah. How am I doing this? Because the isolation, as you say, you don't know who to trust. You, call, you fall back further and further into this corner, and before you know it, you're in a place, and you're like, how did I get here? And how do I get out? Right, and that can be incredibly overwhelming. Very overwhelming. But, but uh, as I said before, thanks to the NBA and their programs, I am, I am, uh, I'm a success story for the NBA and its programs because not only did I learn from the programs in which they took, you know, put me in, and some of the, the doctors that I worked with, and some of the programs that I was in, mm-hmm. not only did I learn from that, but I went back. And I said, hey, the problem is starting here before we get to you guys. It doesn't manifest itself until something happens. Yeah. Not to be extreme, but, I mean, do you think there's an argument to be made that in some ways playing in the NBA and the NBA in general may have saved your life? I think it did save my life overall. Because when you look at most adults, you know, you go on and you don't have answers to problems that you have. You know, some people gamble, some people... Dude, some people, you know, speed, you know, and there are different ways that, that we cope, that we feel we're coping, and we don't know why we're doing it. And it ends up sometimes deadly and tragic. So, yes, yeah. in the large part, it did save my life. Now, I, I think all this was meant to happen. This was meant to happen this way because now what I've done is I've gone and I've created a mechanism before they get to the colleges. Mm-hmm. before they get to the NBA to take a look at themselves and say, hey, this isn't okay, but yet give them tools in order to work their way out of it. Right. And that's incredibly noble. And that's, that's, that's a great thing to do that, you know, going through all of that, you become an advocate for other people and help other people who are in a similar situation. Well, I think that was my original, I think that was my purpose. I think wow. that was my, my, my actual purpose um, because not only do I, I do it, but I like to do it. Right. I love it. I get up every day working with them. I'm looking for me every day, and I'm handing this tool out now to the retired player associations, NFL, NBA, uh, retired players, 
WNBA retired players, NHL retired players, and Major League Baseball retired players so that they can go into the schools and work with these students. It's an evidence-based curriculum that started with Cornell University Mm -hmm. and finished with the University of Minnesota, so it's nationally recognized. It already has funding through Title I, Title II, and Title IX, so we don't need to raise funding for it. And it's it's an underserviced population, but what we found was not only the program works for the student-athlete, but the program also works for band, theater, dance, the extracurricular activity student, and the student. Well, that is, a, that is an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing that you're doing. Um, it's, this has taken an interesting turn, and I'm glad we got to talk about this stuff. But let's, uh, let's go back to your, your playing career for a minute here. And uh, November 3rd, 1994, you know, you're waived by the Heat. And five days later, you know, you sign with my Philadelphia 76ers. And I remember an, I remember an early season game, Willie. You're playing against the Pistons and, and Grant Hill. And a, a very young Chris is watching this game, watching the pregame on TV. And the announcer at the time, who I, I think it was Zoomoff still, he compares you to Grant Long. Uh, Grant, Grant Long. That's a very different comparison. He compares you to Grant Hill. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm in. I'm a fan. I, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, I, I was there at the Spectrum to watch you set a Spectrum scoring record, dropping 53 on the Heat. What was that year in Philly like? The year in Philly was a, a great year. Um, that was the first team I, I played. I had three green lights. Mm. I, you know, I can remember uh, Coach Lucas, uh, you know, he wanted me to shoot the ball. And, you know, I passed the ball. He sat me down. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he said, I, you know, that was a shot you could have took. Yeah. Okay, I go in the game, I get the ball again, I shoot, you know, I make it. I shoot, I miss. I get it next time I shoot, I, I don't shoot, I pass it. He takes me out the game again. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? So, sending very different <laughs> messages than uh, Coach Haskins did at Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. So that's got to be incredible and feel so liberating to have that freedom as a player. Yeah, it was liberating. Uh, we had a young team, uh, Dana Barrows and myself. We we were a great combination, uh, playing together with Sharon Wright and uh, Sean Bradley, uh, Derek Austin. Um, we had a young team, so we were looked at to take more charge as far as the game is concerned, make decisions. You know, put the ball in our hands. Either we shoot. If we can't shoot, create a, create a space where we can give these young guys an easier, you know, opportunity to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, your uh, three-pointers per game went up from about .5 in your career to 5.2 that season. That, uh, that has to be a fun offense to play in. Was, actually, was that the year Dana was an all-star? Yes, he was an all-star. Oh, my good. Just And purely... our, our backcourt, our back remember this, each of us scored 50 points that year. Yeah, that's, oh, I forgot Dana had 50. Yeah, he had 50 against the Houston Rockets. That is uh, Kenny, hey, 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 Kenny Smith, Kenny yeah. Smith. That was his kryptonite, Dana Barrow. Dana Barrow, <laughs> Kenny Smith, he's on TV, he talks, he does. He said it on TV one night that his nemesis was Dana Barrow. He was just hard for him to guard. You know, everyone has that. I had one, I had about four, you know. <laughs> but, you know, James Worthy was my, my nemesis. There was wow. nothing I could do with that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's an argument to be made that both you and Dana came along a little bit too early, considering your ability to shoot from the outside. You know, Dana is, you know, he's, I mean, I don't want to go crazy and say, was Steph Curry before Steph Curry at a point, but there was definitely Steph Curry elements to his game. 
Definitely, definitely. Um, Steph Curry, to me, is a combination of Dana Barrow's quickness and explosiveness and Reggie Miller's shooting. That's, that's a, just the way I would put it. That is strong. That's a, that's a solid combination. And that's why you have a Steph Curry. Unstoppable. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's a great point. The only thing, I'll tell you what, I love Dana. I love Dana from the time he was in Philly. But uh, the one thing that I always think about when I think Dana Barrow's is that uh, that Basketball's Best Kept Secrets album that was put out and Dana's track yeah. on that? Oh, man, not yeah. good. Not good. Well, at the time, it was pretty good. It was it was decent, you know. It was yeah. pretty It was pretty good. I think, it was, I think the beats were good. I think he was trying to just show his skills, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they, they actually used it at All-Star Weekend. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. You had a couple of guys on that. I mean, Brian Shaw had a track, too, if I remember correctly. He probably had a track. Yeah, I played with Brian. Brian we played with Brian in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. That, was, that yeah. Miami team, looking back at it, should have been a really, really fun team with, you know, yourself and Cycli and Steve Smith and Shaw and Glenn Rice. We were missing a, a number of veterans. We had yeah. the, the – I mean, you look at everyone, they had long, very, very prominent careers in the end. But when you put us all together, guess what? It's only one basketball and you got all scores. Right. That that's, creates a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is fair. I mean, even Sherman, that's uh, you're, you're right. There is a, I guess you did need that veteran. Maybe, maybe a veteran point guard. If you had like a, I don't know. I, it's hard to say if you had a Jason kid, cause every team could use a Jason kid, but even, you know, maybe an Andre Miller or somebody like that, just to make sure the ball's getting to the right place and the ball's moving. Yeah, that was, that was, one of the problems and I end up coming off the bench my last two or three years and I was you know you know I came in with Keith Askins and Mimbo Coles and mm. I just you know I got to score again the first team it was just like you know it was you know it, it's difficult guys are just young yeah you're young you don't know any better now you when you look at that team if you take us and, and put us seven eight years in the NBA where it's not that big of a deal you know, we're older, we're mature. We see that, hey, we have to do certain things in order to win. I'll pass up my game. You two will be the main guys, and we'll play off you. But we weren't there yet. All right, so we have a couple more stops in your NBA career. Uh, you have, in 96-97, you signed with the Hawks. But this is kind of a weird situation where, you know, they sign you in September, waive you in October, re-sign you in November, and waive you in January. What, what happened there? Well, Basically, what happened was that in the beginning, um, they needed to do that to clear up space. Gotcha. It's reasons that you have to sign and release and then sign again and release. There's reasons to do that there. And um, in 97, when at the end of the year, January, I needed to get my head and myself together. Mm-hmm. I had enough of being a basketball but not being fully together as a person. Right. Okay. It was enough was enough. And I took that time and to get my life completely together and put basketball completely on the shelf. If you, if you don't mind me asking, what did that entail? That entailed going to a place to learn to live. I mean, going into a place with guys that had flown. To, I went to a center for behavior. Okay. A center for behavior because I still would do some of the things that I wanted to do. I was still going out binge drinking at times. I was dibbling, dabbling off into drugs at times. I wasn't complete, and I didn't feel complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had kids at this time. 
And I don't want to go on like this. Right, right. You know, I, that, I didn't want to go on like this. Would you, you view that as a positive experience that you know, sort of helped you turn things around at that point? From that day forward, my life has been what it is today. Well, that, that's incredible. That is a, that, that's incredible. So you are back the next season. You have a couple of 10 days with the Spurs, and you end up playing with them for the rest of the year. What was the mm-hmm. time in San Antonio like? Oh, it was wonderful. Playing with Tim Duncan and David Robinson and, yeah. and Avery Johnson, uh, great locker room, great competitive edge. Um, you know, I, I got to Popovich, and Popovich said that I was a scorer. When he puts me in the game, just like everyone else, shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to put you in until I need you to shoot the ball because your natural <laughs> instinct is going to be the score. Right. You got Tim and David. So yes. that, that was my role. My role was to be the heck, a heck of a, a practice player. Man, playing against Sean Elliott every day was incredible. That guy could play. You hear me? He pushed me at every inch of my athleticism and my ability every mm-hmm. day. But we did it in a very friendly manner because then again – you know, my, I'm a different guy, um, and I look forward to just competing. And I accepted my role, and this, again, what I said about had Miami Heat, had we, including myself, accepted our roles a little bit better at that time, we would have been a much better team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, rest is, the rest is pretty much history. Yeah, Sean is Sean's one of those people who does not get the respect that he deserves for being one heck of a basketball player. At all. Listen, if you want to look at Willie Bird and say he scored 50 and he did that, I practice against this guy every day. And this guy beat me every day. <laughs> now, but it wasn't easy. He, had to, he pushed himself. But it was as competitive as you can as you can imagine. It was sometimes fun to watch. We sometimes they they would sit back and just watch us, you know, mm-hmm. go at it in a very competitive yet friendly teammate oriented style. It was it was great, you know, yeah. and watching Tim do the things he did and David and and Avery, the undersized point guard, just meticulously picking teams apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was great. How is how was the experience playing for Popovich? The experience was great with Popovich. The mind. He was a basketball mind. Mm. He knows what he wants. He understands who can do what and what he needs you to do for the team to succeed. Right. Yeah. That's one of the all-time greatest coaches in, the, in NBA history. It's, uh, it's got to be a, just a treat to get to play with him for a little while, play under him for a little yeah. while. One of my regrets, one of my regrets, one of my regrets, and this is something that no one probably knows. Okay. Greg Popovich called me into the office the year before they won the championship. And it was a lockout year. Mm-hmm. He calls me in before the lockout and wants to sign me. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go finish my career in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin McHale was the general manager. Um, and I didn't sign that contract. And I go out and I go to do a sprint and I snap my Achilles. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So I was sort getting of older. Revisionist. <laughs> what could have been? Yeah. I was getting older. But the reason I don't regret that is the first thing that happened to me at that time in my mind was not why is this happening to me, poor me. Because then again, I, you know, I was a different person at this time. Mm-hmm. The first thing that came to my mind was you need to be a better father. I shut it off at that point, 
I'm saying this day forward, me and my kids get along great. Well, that, that's great. That is, uh, you know, you, you, there's a little bit more time in Charlotte, but, you know, that's uh, that was brief. But it seems like maybe while you didn't have the NBA career that was possible, the, the NBA allowed you to be the man that you could have been. So yes, to get the, the, time in, the time in Charlotte, my leg wasn't it wasn't ready. Yeah. It was messed up. I was literally out there trying to go on one leg. It wasn't going to work. It right. just wasn't going to work. I was not the same player. So, you know, you're, you, know? You're, you are done with the NBA after that, but, you know, you've, you've become a much better man during this time, and you've, you've figured out how to deal with some demons, and that, that makes your NBA career a success in itself. Yeah, it has. And, and this summer I went through an interview process to hopefully work with the NBA player development. I think I have a lot of information and a lot of experience to hand to give back to those guys um, because you have to understand this at the same time. There were a lot of former players that were there for me during this period also mm-hmm. that would give me information that helped me make the decisions that I made. I didn't make them on my own. It wasn't like I just woke up, a boat of lightning hit me, and I just had it all. No, these former players were around me, giving me information, talking to me, telling me some of the things that I should, should want to do to get myself together. That helped me. And if I have the opportunity to do that with the NBA, I think it's, it's you know, it's just giving back. It's giving back what was given to me, that information. Because you trust those players. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that, that makes complete and total sense. You know? you know, after Charlotte, there was a little bit, you know, an international career. You went to Greece. What was uh, playing in Greece like? Playing in Greece was great. Again, I was playing on one leg. Mm-hmm. So I finished my career. I did really well over in Europe. Won a lot of championships. Uh, but I was doing it on literally one leg. My leg never, it was never the same. Never. Yeah, you know, I think it was Greece to the USBL to the D League. You know, was that, coming back to the States, was that thinking about potentially playing in the NBA again? Or was that just, you know, this is the opportunity that's in front of me at the time? No, I had actually retired. Okay. I had retired, and my agent at the time started the USBL team in, in Oklahoma, called the Oklahoma Storm. Small mm-hmm. town, I could be with my kids, not a lot of running around. Come on out and just see. Sure. And I, I started playing, and things, I just started feeling better. Things started working again. I'm still only on one leg. So going to the NBA and being productive as Willie Burton, mm-hmm. in my mind I knew probably wouldn't happen. Not the same. So Fair I just enough. went along the process before I knew it. I was on one leg. I was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I could at least play overseas. Then I went to the, um, to the CBA, and I, mm-hmm. I think I scored 40 points and had 20 rebounds in one game. Actually, actually two games. And I started looking like the old Willie Burton. But again, then again, I know in my mind that this is CBA level. The NBA level is completely different. Right. Yeah, like you said, it's Russia to the CBA and finally to France. Uh, you know, after that last year, were you, were you ready to leave basketball behind and sort of pursue whatever was next? Well, I had already started making plans. As I went around the country, different countries, I started gathering clothes to, to go into life, to go mm-hmm. into business. Because what everyone doesn't understand is after you're going to do something after basketball. Right. This goes back into St. Martin de Porres and University of Minnesota, when I didn't plan on being in the NBA, I started 
that foundation that was laid started kicking in. It's time to get yourself ready to do something else. So you have to get yourself in order. That includes finishing your degree. That includes, you know, getting the proper attire to be mm-hmm. a, far, a part of the business society uh, and uh, getting things in order. So what what's next for Willie Burton? Well, I got an opportunity to work with students. Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, I, have, I have two nationally recognized programs, Project Safe Campus, um, which is approved by the FBI. It's a, it's a, a safety program in the schools, an anonymous tip line okay. uh, through Crime Stoppers of Michigan that I created. Um, General Motors has just signed that on uh, oh, to wow. be the sponsor of that program. Now I'm now that that program is kind of solidified, I'm moving forward to expand the XLU curriculum across the United States. And actually, I've just got a call from China um, with a possible contract for 10 provinces. Wow. Um, so this, this is a good program because it was written by us, former, former professional and collegiate athletes that are educators. Gotcha. To get That's us it. ready before we get to college and before you make it to the NBA to – to, you know, make problems, you know, bring up problems that, that could be uh, an issue in your future. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, anybody else that the casual fan would know who's involved with the program? Um, Stacy Lovelace helped create it, former okay. WNBA player. Um, let's see. Right now, because we're, we're, we're I don't want to, say too many names because sure. I don't have permission yet, Fair yet. Although they help create the, they help create the program mm-hmm. across the sports spectrum, but I don't have their permission to say their names, but I have for Stacey's permission because she's with the NBA. So <laughs> she's Fair not enough. with the NBA. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start to wrap this up. And you know, the way that I like to do that at the end with everybody is a quick game of word association. I'm going to give you the names of some players. And I, I just like the first thing that comes to mind when I mention these guys' names. doesn't have to be one word or anything like that, just first thoughts. And let's start with Sherman Douglas. Great, great player. Grant Long. Great. Foundation of the team, team foundation. Glenn Rice. Great score. Ronnie Cycli. Ronnie Cycli. <laughs> yeah. I would say one of the most versatile, dominating big men when he chose to be. How about Brian Shaw? Oh, team leader. Steve Smith. Great teammate. I'm interested in, really, really interested in these next few. Uh, Harold Miner, because I always thought, you know, Harold Miner just did not have the career he should have had. One of the most athletic basketball players I've ever played with. Why didn't it why didn't it work out for him? I think that what happened my professional opinion, I I, I can say mm-hmm. this now we're there. I think what happened at USC is sometimes when you play and you play he had to develop the ability to play with others. Gotcha. So it was like, like Kobe. When I played it when I was played with Kobe and um in Philadelphia, and Kobe's thought. When the ball hit Kobe's hand, it was showtime. You know, mm-hmm. when it hit his hands, he was going to do something with it. Later, as you see, he learned the process of getting that done. That's how it was with Harold Miner. 
when the gotcha. ball hit his hands at the, when he first got there, you know, he would go one on five. And he's a great guy. Let's not talk bad about Harold. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. But Harold started learning slowly to play with others. But I've heard, um, I've heard he's also like very quiet. He's very, very quiet. Very quiet guy. One of the most quiet guys you would know. Great person. Mm-hmm. Funny, actually, when you talk to him. But I think that the team concept got in Harold's way early. I don't know what happened later. Gotcha. Uh, this this guy is one of my two dream guests for the show. You know, the first is Bob Cousy, and the second one is your former teammate John Sally. Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy is a player that made everyone else around him better. Yeah. John Sally was a good leader on the floor, and I talk to him to this day. Um, trying to keep all of us knuckleheads together, but it was only one him. We should have had four veterans. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, there you go. Uh, anytime I've talked to anybody, it's get John Sally, get John Sally. John Sally is incredible. Like, people can't mm-hmm. say enough good things about John Sally. Yeah, but when he was in Miami with us, he needed at least two to three other people to help yeah. him. You know, there was too many of us young guys running around in different directions. He tried. He that's did good. A, that's fair. He did good, though. How about one minute bowl? Nudie! <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Funny I'm... guy. Underestimated player. Could shoot the three and will block shots. Could stand on the floor and grab the rim. <laughs> yeah, I love Minute. I, those, those years with Minute and Sean were interesting. But, uh, man, I loved Minute. And now Joel. Joel just wants to be everything Minute actually was, like killing a, killing a lion with his bare hands, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There's only one Nudie Bowl. Nudie Bowl set the standard. I mean, yeah. he, made it, he made it hard for guys 7-4, I mean, over 7-3. Right. I mean, he's over 7-3, but he shot, shot the three-pointer and blocked a lot of shots. I watched him pin Shaq ball up against the backboard. Yeah. I mean, kind of shot the three-pointer. That was one of the ugliest shooting forms I've ever seen in my life, but he made it. How about uh, how about Allah Abdul Nabi? Allah, excuse me, Duke, mm. great versatile player, big body, big body. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't last longer. Yeah, well, he's you know he, he's doing a nice job as the the color guy for the Sixers right now. So, well, that's good. He's a good person, great person. I remember Allah been on each other since high school. So, good guy. Uh, we, we talked about him earlier, but Dana Barrows. Dana Barrows. Undersized skills. Could shoot, could drive. A nightmare. Mm. A, a literal nightmare. <laughs> Anthony about, Smith. Yes, I, <laughs> hey, Kenny's welcome to come on and talk about Dana Barrows anytime. Well, about, he, 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 on his show, he, he said it. He said yeah. Dana Barrows was his. I mean, so he already admitted. I mean, we like I said, we as players, we all have someone. Yeah. Well, you alluded oh. to this earlier. You say you had four. Who were your four? James Worthy was number one. Yeah. And a guy you guys may not remember, but uh, a guy named Buck Johnson for the Houston Rockets played behind okay. the team in order store. Didn't get a lot. Buck Johnson for the Houston Rockets. Um, Glenn Robinson. Well. Yeah, that, that man could score the basketball. <laughs> Glenn Robinson, Grant Hill. 
Well, yeah, then no shame in Grant Hill. Grant Hill. I mean, this is, I was like, this guy, wow. You yeah. know? Yeah, that, uh, it, it's a shame that there were some injuries there with Grant because that path he was on early on, I mean, there was, there was no limit to how good he could have been. Yeah, that's right. How about Sean? Big Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley was a great guy. Sean Bradley just needed to be, at that time in the NBA, he needed to be a little meaner. Right now, Sean Bradley would be an all-star in the NBA. Yeah. Jeff Malone. Jeff Malone. The only player I've ever seen that could not shoot a jump shot standing still, but could shoot the lights out. That's, that's fascinating. Our, our big return for uh, one Charles Barkley. Can't, man, that's a – well, I, what they got – it wasn't originally Jeff. We traded for Jeff. Didn't, they got the, the – oh, this is killing me. The, Tim, Tim Perry. Yeah, Andrew Lang. Mm-hmm. And, and wasn't it the, the guard – the, the shooting guard from the the the, uh, the jazz, but then we traded him for Jeff Malone. Hornacek. Yeah, Jeff Hornacek. Why can't that's I'm I'm embarrassed. I can't come up with the name Jeff Hornacek. Yeah, Hornacek is pretty good. You got Hornacek, Perry, and Lane. You got three guys for Charles Barkley. I mean, that was man for man. That was a good trade. If you look at it, it was a good trade. You got a lot. Oh, I, I'm we miss Charles, but uh, yeah, it, it was you can't good replace having. you can't replace a one one person like Charles, but. If I'm a GM today, that's something I can't turn down. Yeah. You well, got Hornacek, you got Lane, you got Tim Perry. Tim Perry was just jumping up, dunking over everyone at that time. Yeah. Well, we tried to replace Charles Barkley with one person, and that was Clarence Weatherspoon. Yeah, Spoon, yeah. What do you think of Spoon? Spoon was a great player. He was a Charles Barkley-like player. Mm-hmm. So Charles Barkley could handle the ball and shoot the three. Yeah, that was uh... – Players like Weatherspoon, do they have a place in the NBA anymore? The, the big guys like the, you know, the, the game is so fast now. It will, it will be almost a disadvantage to guys like that. You know, the game is more now speed you can't touch. So yeah. it's all about guys like, you know, you know, guys like Steph. The guys that are in there today, guys like Steph. You know, player like myself would have been great because I wasn't that physical of a player, but. Yeah, the big body guys are gone now. They used to be around because, I mean, the rules have changed. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in this one, too. How about Christian Leitner? Christian Leitner, Mr. Chicken. I played with him in Atlanta. Great guy. Great skill set. Mr. Chicken. Explain Mr. Chicken. Oh, no. We used to joke about each other because we we get up in the morning and go to practice and we wouldn't comb our hair. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd say it looked like chickens were plucking at his hair because his hair would be sticking up. Oh, that's funny. You got so, to play. Yo. You played with some interesting characters here, and the next one is uh, Dikembe Mutombo. Dikembe Mutombo, get out of the way. When your <laughs> man drives to the basket, get out of the way. I learned quickly. Get out of the way. Your man drives to the basket. He's no longer my problem. Someone's waiting on you. <laughs> that's funny. That's great. I've no one has ever said a bad word about Dikembe Mutombo. No, great guy. Great guy and a giving guy also. Well, very different personality, I would think, than Dikembe is one Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Silent but deadly. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, so good. Skill set. Oh, my, his skills, it's just like he's got left hand, right hand, spin, face up, mid-range, off the glass from, you know, the side corner. Um, just 
one of the greatest friends. And then we used to go paintball shooting after practice. <laughs> <laughs> we go paintball shooting after practice. Just a great guy. Just Tim is Tim. How does a, how does a seven foot guy hide playing paintball? He found a way. <laughs> I guess that's Tim Duncan's career. He just found a way. Yeah, he found a way. Great guy. Uh, and yeah. a guy that he would sit there just as patient and as calm, never got rattled about anything. Never. Yeah. Well, uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, but Sean Elliott. Sean Elliott, wonderful person, great teammate, great competitor. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed practicing with him every day. I really did. You know, he pushed the envelope and made me push the envelope. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I appreciated the time that I had there, even if it was mainly, mainly just practicing with the team. A couple of times I was put in the game, I did some scoring and we won, but Outside of that, it was mainly that team doing what they did, and it was an honor for me to play with them. How about Avery Johnson? Avery Johnson, Little River, great person, great leader, and his career tells it all. Many times as he was released, he came back. Yeah. He always seemed to come back. And um, everything that he's had, he's earned. Um, and I have a high level of respect for him. Let me That's ask you. Person. Be honest, Willie. How much crap did he get for that voice of his? Uh, I well, <laughs> I used to call him Little Jesse, Little okay. Jesse Jackson. Sure, because that's just his personality. But he means well. Oh yeah. Uh, he didn't get a lot, of, a lot of flack. You didn't give Avery a lot of flack. You respected Avery. That's Avery was fair. a leader. That's fair. He was a leader. How about the, another incredible leader, the Admiral? Oh man, I get that. I mean, playing in that San Antonio locker room, um, as far as a locker room as a whole, with individuals that you respect on a high, high level, mm-hmm. San Antonio Spurs. You can go across the locker room, literally. Yeah. You know, you can go literally across the locker room. Um, David was soft-spoken. You know, they were very humble. Although they were kicking everybody's butts, they were humble. Right. That's what and made them so it, great. Yeah. I learned yeah. a lot from those guys. And I know uh, the time in Charlotte was quick, but there's a couple of guys here. And, uh, you know, how about Derek Coleman? Derek Coleman, ability, take over a game at will. I don't care who's on the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you, can put, you can put all the big names you want to put out there across the floor. If he wanted to take over a game, can take it over. How about one Ricky Davis? Ricky Davis, athletic as all get out. I mean, just a pure athletic basketball player. Nothing he couldn't do. He could hit angles. I wish I could at at his age at that time. And uh, our last guy is one Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, just a pure player. Pure player. I hear Eddie was a talker. No, not not with me. He didn't. I mean, not with me. Maybe with some others he did, but not. He didn't. It wasn't that way with me. He um, he just went and played. I had a lot of respect for his game. Fair enough. I had a lot of respect for his game. All right. Well, you've got the as you mentioned, you've got the XLU.com and everyone. You know, that's certainly who is that available to? How can people access it? Well, it's available to schools. All you have to do is go on our website and access it, and the contact information is on there. What the program is about. 
uh, what we focus on, and we can also send additional literature. Uh, we're just getting started with the marketing aspects of it um, to branch it out. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just left uh, Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. So I was in Houston, Texas. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Houston chapters of retired players. Okay. Uh, they're the third largest school district in the country. And we're going to start there, and uh, here in the next couple of months, you'll you'll see us starting to branch out. You'll see it on social media, email. And if schools or principals would like to get contact with that information, which we have speakers come to your school, and it is, um, it has, it can be a part of the actual class because we have, uh, it is nationally recognized and measured. Okay. So we Excellent. have two different, you know, we have two different approaches to do it after school or as an actual course in the school. Gotcha. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? No, I'd like to thank you for having me on. Um, I'd like to thank you for taking time. You've taken me down memory lane uh, with some players that I really respect, and I've thought about them, and I think about them, and I wish them all well, and I hope their future is bright. And I, I appreciate you taking time out to call me. Oh, absolutely. So this has been you know, this week's episode of Tales from the Association. My guest has been Willie Burton. And, you know, Willie, I, uh, I can't thank you enough. This was, a, this was a treat, and I enjoyed talking to you and, and learning about what's going on. Well, thank you very much.